You're listening to Conversation Balloons, interviews with experts and friends about how the generations can help each other thrive. I'm your host, Leah Farish. Check out this episode. Today we are welcoming back the Reverend Jessica Moffat. She is lead pastor at First Methodist Church here in Tulsa. She graduated from the Candler School of Theology at Emory University, and she began full-time ministry here in Tulsa at the same church, First Methodist. She was there 12 years till um, she was transferred to another First Methodist, and uh, after a wonderful uh, ministry in a couple of churches, is back here now as senior pastor. Her staff numbers about 65 people, and uh, those involved at her church are about 5,000. And so she actually is a mega church pastor, which is very unusual for a woman. <laughs> Quite an achievement. Glory to God. I know that, uh, that uh, you give all glory to God for that. Um, we want to talk today about what she has learned about pastoring people who are facing the end of life and uh, how she handles visitation and shepherding of people in these situations. Not just to hear her story, but to learn from her. I have known Jessica for decades, and uh, I have really been encouraged and challenged by the love that she has been able to extend to people in this stage of life. And uh, we have a lot to learn from her, so let's get started. Welcome, Jessica. Well, thank you, Leah. That's just lovely. It's just really good to be here. And and we have. We've been with each other through uh, observing the lives of others and how to love and honor and respect those who are senior adults. Mm-hmm. One of my early recollections as a really a, a like a middle schooler, I think maybe sixth grade, seventh grade or so. I lived next door to my high school, my junior high school growing up. Uh, my grandmother lived with us, and she spent most of the day in a dark room. And I just recall every afternoon knocking on her door. She said, come in, and opening the curtains. And the light would come in because it was so dark. I couldn't adjust. I just wanted to see her. And uh, there'd be times when she would just say to me, "You are, you are the light." Mm. So I think if I were to start somewhere, talking about how we might relate to uh, older adults who are in more difficult times of their lives, it would just be that light and that love. Oh, that is is sweet and you bring light to all kinds of people but I can certainly see that happening there and you know I visited a woman the other day who's around 90 and and uh she wrote me a thank you note afterwards and she said you made my day and I I was I thought how many people can I make their day I mean that's it it's it doesn't take that much to love a person who is lonely and um, who can't get around, it really doesn't take much to make such an impact in their lives. And the impact in just such a short time, you know, even, even a short visit, 20 minutes, 
Right. That's what I find Couldn't works about life. Mm-hmm. That's right. What do you want to, what do you do with those 20 minutes? My theory about every human being is that they want to be fully seen. They want you to notice their their them and their lives, and not in a way that is um, arrogant or you know, look at me. It's just uh, valuing them as as people. Uh, sometimes it can just be a simple question to get the conversation started. You know how how are things with you? Such a simple question. Um, you know, one thing that I like to ask people who aren't very mobile and don't have a lot of responsibilities to report on, I just say, what have you been thinking about lately? They can always answer that because they lie there and think. Well, what I think that experience did for me as a young girl was to make me very comfortable with silence and sitting and letting the silence open the way for the other person to speak. For those of us who are thinking about those visits, if we're not familiar with them, we might be a little uneasy. You know, what will I say? Uh, what if the conversation doesn't go well? It really doesn't matter how the conversation goes. Mm. What truly matters is the presence yeah. that you've made with that person. So um, just being there is plenty. What I find, where I like to start sometimes, is just an observation of the physical things around me. Mm-hmm. So someone was asking me, um, what is a good experience of, say, a, a home visit to a senior adult? And uh, for me, it's, uh, it's advance notice because... It, it could be an event for someone. They might actually like to get ready, get a little, maybe a woman might like to get her hair done or put on a little bit of makeup or and something. And look forward to it. And then the, you are so on that. So if I say, could I come on Friday, and there are three days until then, there's a great joy in the anticipation. Mm-hmm. That's right. And a little bit of nervousness if a person feels, you know, what if it doesn't, what if I can't be up for it? What if I don't feel well? Mm -hmm. Uh, What if one of these things that gets me, gets me on that day? So I'm always saying, you know, and if that day doesn't work, then one day next week, it is, you know, we're real flexible. Um, But what I love to do upon arrival is to just really notice all the photographs. Who is this? Mm -hmm. And why do you keep this right here? And what does this flag mean that's all folded up in this beautiful commemorative box? And uh, when you just begin that way, so we just I just let conversation flow pretty freely. But then there comes a time in which I do want to express what I observe about that person. It's the affirmations. Um, so as you mentioned, I've been in my church a long time. So I started in 1985 as a young woman. And I knew many of the people I know now, I knew them for 12 years way back then. Then I was gone for 19 years. Mm. And now I've been back for five or so, maybe six. And um, so sometimes I'll just go back and I'll say, I remember when I first met you, when I was here as a young woman. Mm. And I just begin to say, here's what I observed about you back then. And do you remember this? And just do a little bit of that. Uh, It's so much much fun. And it really awakens their cognitive abilities and their their memories. Um, And then before too long, I I say, well, I'd like to pray before I leave, and what specifically can I pray about? And the reason I want to get to that pretty quickly is because sometimes that's a long conversation. Mm. Sometimes just expressing what 
uh, the person wants to have prayed for will touch on many levels of emotion and story. And so if I think my whole visit's going to be maybe 40 minutes at most, uh, I need to ask that question about 20 minutes in Mm -hmm. and uh, let them go ahead and say, well, I do have something. (laughs) And then we really get to the heart of it. And I do want to kind of watch the clock because there's a not always limitless energy. Uh, and then have it a real genuine prayer out of the relationship even that we've had in those 40 minutes. I think a perfect visit is just really about about you know 30 or, or, or 40. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I were visiting a person in the hospital, it would be much shorter, shorter still. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just get right to it. So... F- Really, the first question is, you know, what what do you what do you know today? Because mm-hmm. the hospital is a progressive kind of information experience. So usually we've been keeping up. So what's the news today? And um, then getting pretty quickly to the how can I pray for you part. Uh, often I will not even sit down. Um, if I feel like a person really wants company, but yet. I know I shouldn't make a long visit. Sometimes I will sit down in such a way that is super comfortable, like I'm going to stay all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm really describing two scenarios. One is when I just stand because I know this is going to just be about 10, 10 minute stops. And the other is I'll kind of slouch down in whatever chair I'm in, like and cross my arms and my legs, like like I'm just going to. I'm settled. I'm here. What do you, got, what do you want to tell me? Uh-huh. Um, but I'm still watching the clock because yeah. I know a long hospital visit's never. Never the way to go, really. It may be a rare instance. So um, I think those are so, both those types of visits are so memorable. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I hear back from their friends later. You know, I know you went to go see Jerry and she just mm-hmm. loved the visit and told me all about it. Uh-huh. Uh, and the friends feel deeply appreciative themselves that you've been to see their friend. Oh, yeah. That was the way I had a friend who was going through a really tough year. And I thought, how can I love her? She's so busy. You know, she's wealthy. She doesn't need uh, things. Uh, She doesn't even need me to spend time with her right now. She was pulled in a lot of tough directions. And I thought, I can go see her mother in the nursing home. And she appreciates that so much. It's such a gift to her that I'm loving her mother and helping her to nurture her mom when she can't be around and and be present with her mom uh, as much as she would like. I have visited the parents of of church members um, and just left my card on their kitchen table and didn't really talk to the other family members that I'd been there. And it was a discovery. And that's, oh. that was, that's especially fun. Uh-huh. What a great surprise, yeah. One thing you told me about visiting your grandmother was that this was a time that you prized in your very busy week because it was a time to slow down. And you walked in with the intention of slowing way down. And I appreciated that. It helped me a lot um, in my expectations from a visit and uh, how to benefit personally from what I'm giving to the other person. I could 
see it as a as a time when I wasn't getting other things done or see it as a positive that I was actually giving myself some leisure. Mm, yes. Oh, I did, I really did love those visits. And one thing I did with my own grandmother and then later with my dad as he had to be also in a nursing home, um, I set it on my calendar every week. I, I would not miss it. Mm-hmm. It would be blocked as an appointment. And uh, I would, I would get there and with them, since they're my family members, of course, I would stay quite a bit longer and I could uh, assess, you know, when it was time to go or, or when one of them was tired. Um, and, and that meant a lot to me. You know, I'd be going through a really busy work day and it's like, it's a quarter of four. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And uh, just go and sit with her until supper. Really, that was kind of the plan. It'd be after her, her nap and, uh, um, the thing that was so dear there was that I would sometimes just sing, you know, mm. singing is in my background and, uh, I would hum a little something or maybe sing up a little something. Then she'd sing up a, a little something. Um. And, uh, it, if it was a safe place because of the repetition of it, uh-huh. you know, so many years of doing that every Tuesday at four o'clock, mm. um, it just became uh, just a joy, really, for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my one sadness about my grandmother is she so loved children. Mm-hmm. And uh, she died in February of 89, and I had my baby in November of 89. Oh. I just missed her by a few months. But I bring up the children because if I were in the building and I heard children uh, visiting another person, sometimes I would just say, is there any way that your little toddler could come in, toddle into my grandmother because she really appreciates that? And so I think it's just knowing what really does feed her soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, she loves scripture, and if you just read the Psalms aloud to her, you know that that would that would just soothe her. Uh, but you know, I did love just ruminating over all the same stories, how we'd go to her house and get the peas from the garden and play a game called Holly Gully. And we'd talk about all the characters in Delight, Arkansas, where she's from. And uh, we might talk about that every single week. And mm-hmm. it was it was delightful. It was just like revisiting a, a wonderful novel um, and just ruminating on that. So mm-hmm. I think it... it I think the moment that we think we are providing, so I have what's needed and I'm giving it to you, I think we get into some problem areas. Mm-hmm. But when uh, we're stepping into this a relational situation where we're both really getting a lot out of it uh, and looking for what it is that is that I am getting out of it and, and even saying something about it in the moment. And toward the end, even as, we, as I sum up before I pray, just to say... Um, here's what this these few minutes have meant to me today. Mm. Uh, sometimes that's important. It's just that concept of really seeing and really being in the moment, which can be learned. <laughs> I say from experience. <laughs> I've had to learn it. I r- was reading that an, an, an expert interviewer said, I try to find the question that that person has always wanted to be asked. and. I wonder what that would would be like. Is that too demanding? Um, but it made me it made me think of a person who is at the end of their lives who 
still hasn't gotten to share something that's very important and maybe just hasn't ever been asked the right question to bring that out. I love that thought. Mm -hmm. Because what that thought represents is a real deep knowing of the other person and and that trust I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if there have been confusing times. So my grandmother uh, lost her husband at a very young age and lost her son at a very young age. And I think for her, there remained this silent question of why. Mm-hmm. Why would God allow this beautiful clergyman uh, to lose his life by a ruptured appendix, no less, because there was no penicillin in 1927. Mm. Um and she grieved the loss of that love all her life. And so can you, as a trusted daughter, granddaughter, visitor, pastor, guest, um, get in to provide comfort and to make a, a safe space if there is any conversation that still needs to happen over, over those kinds of things? I remember the time that I got to sing with my grandmother, um, On the day she died, I didn't know it was going to be such a momentous day, but she hadn't been able to speak for a week. She was uh, in tremendous respiratory distress and suffering greatly. Um, The nursing staff were not sure that she was hearing them or hearing anything, that she was really not technically conscious. And I spoke with her and, you know, spoke to her and and prayed over her for a minute. And then I started to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. And when I sang the word bear, she chimed in on that word, strong and on pitch with me. And that was the last word that she said on this earth. And how deep did that hymn have to be down within her heart and consciousness and subconscious to to revive enough to join me in that moment? Um, I wonder how many kinds of common expressions of faith, uh, common uh, music in our heritage are we going to have with people who are the 20s and 30s who are singing highly produced songs in church? Uh, I just, I don't know if those are going to take the, the position that hymns had in the generations of many before us. I hope so. I hope they'll be singing oceans or <laughs> whatever. Um, because there's some great songs that really, I feel good on Sunday morning singing. But whether they are what hymns were to older generations, I, I doubt. I was reading an article the other day that said that the music we love the most as Christians uh, is the music that uh, fed us when we were new Christians. 
Yes. So we would say we love Keith Green, who's been gone a long, long time. And uh, those songs that I used to play with my guitar with. Uh, Pass it on. Or <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. And that 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 if if I were you know in your mother's condition and you sing pass it on it might wake me up too so so are these the songs that these young adults are finding as their theme song for this formative time of their lives yeah so in in our world we have a, a hymnal that's called Cokesbury hymnal and it's got you know in the garden and all those just beautiful tender that's what I would keep in my car with my grandmother just a little Cokesbury hymnal mm-hmm. yeah yeah, those imprinted on her when she was twenty years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course they would be all tied in with this sweet love of her life that she was only married seven years, and uh, these hymns and her sweet love Jess Galloway are all combined. So it's sentimental. Let me shift us a little bit to thinking about how you function with a family that has lost their member uh, who, um, with whom you have to plan a funeral. Mm. How do you minister to people, and how, how do you see families in those situations? Is there a great variety of how they uh, relate, or do you see a lot of common elements? There are a lot of common elements. The exception would be when it's a crisis, mm. when it's really a shock. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woman is fine one day and gone the next, and mm. there was just really no expectation. When we're talking about this uh, age group, uh, sometimes it's it's not a big surprise, and even plans have been made. I think the key here is to somehow gauge where the family members are, because as a um, person who needs to help make this service happen, we'd like to kind of get on with business. Um, but I have learned not to get onto business until I perceive that the family's ready. Mm. So I've also learned to not talk about the funeral if the person is still alive, even though it's very clear this person's not going to make it, to not ever say, what are you thinking about that service? And who, do you, where and when and who's going to sing? <laughs> and uh, I just did that one time and I thought, well, this is not, uh, not, not the conversation to have. So as much as we would like to, as those in charge, uh, I always just wait until I perceive that it's the, it's the right time. Uh, and usually they'll say, I'll, I'll just say, have you been thinking about a, a day or how you might like to do this? And if they say, you know, oh, think I haven't even thought about anything. I can't even function. That's a clue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they're saying, yeah, we were wondering about Thursday. And mm-hmm. so just those kind of soft, soft questions. Um, people rally for a funeral. Families do. And even if a family member feels like they can't really cope with the loss, they will rise to the occasion. Um, but what we find is about three months later, they're kind of a mess, and they need some. They need a touch from their pastor. Hmm. We we try to touch it three months, six months, nine, and a year, and uh, it's just a journey that they go through. But you know, a family often gets a lot of attention when someone dies, and then two or three months later. Other people have died, and it's not even—it's not really on people's minds. Um, but the the immediate steps are families don't don't know what to do next. Mm. You know, you're gonna have to call the funeral home, and you have to get a death certificate, and some of those practical steps. And 
And funerals are they're it can be costly. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I'll try to help a, a family understand before they go into the funeral home what to expect, some of the choices that they'll need to make. And uh, so, and about the funeral itself, for me, I want it to be really about two things. I want it to be very much about the life of the person. And if I can use the illustration of the life of the person to also explain the life of Jesus, since I come from a Christian culture, so the the faith of that person, um, that's that's the beauty of of what I think a powerful eulogy is, properly honoring the story and the life and the values of the person who has died, but yet bringing the participants onto the higher truth of that person's life. And of course, the the great hope uh, for the way my world is, of course, I'm the pastor of a church, that's always uh, the hope for an eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that's always a great, a great comfort. Um, so that's a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. I read recently um, a pastor, I believe it was a pastor, said that so-and-so in his church completed her baptism. That was how he called dying. And I'm not sure I understand that theologically. Can you shed a little light on that? Why would that complete your baptism? <laughs> I guess baptism is a, a a dying and rising, and but it's an, also a picture of a, a, an eventual dying and rising. Is that it? I might say that uh, baptism is the uh, earthly experience that we have, and once our earthly bodies are over, mm-hmm. then it's finished. the The earthly claiming by God of us that we affirm in our baptism or for our children uh, is, I think, I think the word completing is a nice, it's a metaphor. It's a nice metaphor of mm-hmm. uh, we finished this race, we've uh, run it, but to tie it into baptism is that uh, it's not living a resurrection life while mortal and alive. It's living the resurrection life after, after you've died. That's a nice uh, phrase. I know you're very familiar with this scripture, 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we don't lose hope, uh, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. That seems like a very idealistic (laughs) scripture that I haven't gotten to see lived out much among people who are experiencing that outward decay. I... And I don't want it for myself as if I have a time, a long decline in the future. I don't want a decline of my, my inner man, my spirit. I don't want to be caught up in or dragged down in the physical um, challenges and deterioration. Have you seen people that managed that process when there was a long senescence, as they might say. Um, and how, how, can we, how can we make that possible for ourselves and those that we love to have renewal even as we're going through that decline? 
the way I describe that in my own life is the partnership of the act of my will and the great power of God together. That just the great power of God, you know, might transform me into a person of hope. But without my turn toward that and without my setting my own heart, uh, it's hard to achieve, especially when you are in pain, when you don't feel good, when you're broken or your digestion's not working. You know, some we we make uh, comments sometimes about how people who are senior adults talk a whole lot about their health. Well, that's because it, it it's a huge issue when one of those things goes wrong. And so, how do you how do you keep that hope? Um, and the the side verse to what the verse that you're talking about is that we we do not grieve as a people who have no hope. So that's a, a powerful other perspective of hope is that yes we grieve but we grieve as a people who have hope. So um, it's the setting of it's the partnership of the will, mm. and that's how God has designed this gave us that free will so that we can reject the that power that's available to us and that mindset that is available to us. Um, I've been so inspired by people whose bodies are frail and whose spirits are calm and focused and at peace. Um, it's a setting of the heart. I have visited a few people who I really felt uplifted by going to see them when I thought I was going to try to uplift them some way or another, and it was actually the, the reverse. You know, the, this leads me to uh, think of a passage from a poem by C.S. Lewis uh, called Dimer, D-Y-M-E-R. He actually wrote this before he became a Christian, but it, it's very powerful writing. And he's talking about someone who is facing death. And then uh, I'll skip over to the moment of hope at the end of his poem. He says, his main character, Dimer, says, Now drink me as the sun drinks up the mist. This is the hour to cease in at full flood that asks no gift from following years. And from the distant corner of day's birth, he heard clear trumpets blowing and bells ring a noise of great good coming into earth. And I like that because when we see someone move on into eternity, it, it leads us to think about eternity and about God and about the meaning of our lives. And this is one of the, the great blessings of knowing people who are older and uh, as they face death, and eternity, it instructs us. Their example instructs us, and their experience challenges us. And uh, so many um, people at that stage of life lead me to think about heaven and think about the consequence of a life lived. When my grandmother was dying, she was in her last few days, she set up she hadn't, she hadn't been awake. She hadn't spoken. Uh, she sat up and she said, oh, it's so beautiful. That's the last word I know that she said. It's so beautiful. And then not another word. 
She didn't die on that day. It was another day. Mm-hmm. But I have hung on that. Mm-hmm. So whatever she saw was so beautiful oh. in this life or the next. That gives me chills. I think that's a wonderful note to, to close on. Thank you, Jessica, for being with us again today. I really enjoyed it. Such a good topic, isn't it? It's one worth worth thinking about. Not easy to choose to think about, but important. And um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and benefited. We'd like you to rate and review us and subscribe on all the platforms. Thank you, Caleb, my producer. And we look forward to sharing with you again next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Conversation Balloons. Look for more episodes and information at leahfarish.com. That's L-E-A-H-F-A-R-I-S-H dot com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram.